Today's episode is a real case example of a haint or type of energy called the egregore. You see, I have provided you examples of thought forms in a literary and research sense, but the reason I even talk about thought forms is because we have experienced them through paranormal investigation. This episode is special to me because it is our first season finale. With that, I feel the next important thing to note is thank you. I created this podcast with hope and gratitude in my heart, wanting to share my research so I can help you to be prepared for the paranormal and to release some of the built-in stigma and fear around it. I took a chance and I released this podcast out there, sent out the signal and well, you answered my call. You listening and being here gives me the encouragement to keep growing this. And we will find out together on where this journey takes us. Now let me tell you a real case file on our experience with an egregore. Now, it's your time to sit back, relax, and expand that mind. This case takes place in Madison County, Kentucky. Madison County itself consists of two main cities, being that of Richmond and Berea. Some of the most known locations within those cities being the home of Eastern Kentucky University and Berea College, which have plenty of haunted history of their own. But our urban legend today takes place in Richmond. Madison County is beautiful. To someone from Eastern Kentucky, I feel like it is what I call the perfect mix. For me, that means it has enough city, but still has the country. There is beautiful open land that still exists here, and farmland that glows in the evening sunset. The area of our urban legend takes place in a location that is more settled. It contains some businesses on the way, and you will pass some newer subdivisions, But if you really take the time to look, as you continue further down this stretch of road, you can see how this used to be farmland way back when. This road is called Four Mile Road, and the urban legend I'm about to tell you is known to, I feel like anyone and everyone in the county. Someone either has tried this urban legend, knows someone who has, or has some kind of chilling story that comes with their encounter while doing this ritual. The urban legend itself is called Little Egypt. With them research and requesting information on how it got the name, I had one person state that there used to be concrete pillars near the area that this event is supposed to have occurred, and that they had Egypt inscribed on them. You cannot see those structures now when you travel to this location, but it is worth noting the pillars have been mentioned a couple of times by others. If you do a quick web search on Little Egypt coupled with Richmond, Kentucky, you will immediately be flooded with this ghost story, almost giving it a Bloody Mary type feel in a storytelling sense. But we'll get more into that later. 
Now, our story goes that Egypt was the name of the farm where this event took place. In older times, it was more common for a farm to have a name versus a house number. Although we know today that farms have physical addresses that you can easily type into a GPS, they also still have names. Many times you can stop and ask for directions and provide an address. Someone may be able to give you an idea on where the location is. But if you ask instead where Meadowbrook Farm is, then chances are they can provide you those directions more quickly. Now, to back up a little bit here on the farm name, it actually isn't completely clear if the farm in our story was named Egypt, Little Egypt, or if that the team mentioned in the story was referred to as Little Egypt. It all depends on the version you get. Maybe Little Egypt was some type of endearing nickname for the younger family member located at the farm Egypt. We don't know. And I have not yet found historical records stating the farm name. In fact, we do not hold any documents or proof that a teen lived here on a farm in past times. The legend also doesn't state a set time or time period for this event, but the story still gives the feel that it was a long time ago. Now that isn't to say that some of these versions don't have estimated time frames, I would call them. I got the vibe of the early 1900s for whatever reason when researching this, but please note that this is my own speculation and it could even be fueled psychologically by the story itself and location. There are three versions of this legend and they go as follows. Number one, Little Egypt was a 16-year-old girl who lived on Four Mile Road past or near the bridge that crosses with Hunter Lane. She was abducted from this road where she was assaulted and murdered. Her spirit continues to search for the men who committed this crime by riding as a passenger in passing vehicles who invite her in. Number two. The next version here speaks of a girl around the same age and same name who lived in this farm location who announced to her family that she was pregnant. She then revealed to them that the father was a cousin. The family's reaction caused her to run out of the home into the road and she was struck and killed. Number three. This final version is that she was abducted from a house in this location, murdered and dismembered with her remains being scattered throughout the surrounding farms. This version of the story does state the year 1920 as an estimate. All three versions provide horrific circumstance, ending with her death right in the area near Four Mile Road Bridge, crossing Hunter's Lane. I decided to dig deeper to see if we could find any type of article or record and thought the second version of the story could aid us in further detail of the time period. But there was no mention on if she was struck by a vehicle or a horse and carriage situation, which puts us back at square one. If it had stayed a vehicle, we may have been able to indicate a time period to around 1908, when the Lexington Motor Car Company was opened in Lexington, Kentucky, by a racehorse promoter. But even then, we know that once again Kentucky is mostly farmland, and cannot assume those in the area could have afforded a motor vehicle in that time period. 
horse would have still been a common mode of transportation in Kentucky, even after the invention of the motor car. Summoning Little Egypt can be done in multiple ways, but these are the three main themes that I have come across. Number one, travelers go to the bridge, preferably at midnight on a rainy night. Call her name three times and then tap the two front windows. She will enter the car, feeling like a short burst of wind. You then want to crack the front two windows of the vehicle while you drive so she can escape through them. Supposedly, if you are not her killer, then she will come in and out of the vehicle with no issue. If you are, then she can cause a wreck. I feel like it's important to mention here I have not come across any kind of a wreck associated with the urban legend. Number two, another way is to drive onto the bridge, crack your windows, call out, Little Egypt, Little Egypt, come ride with me. You will feel presence enter. You drive her down the road, turn around, and then drop her back off at the bridge. The last version, number three, is doing the tapping and cracking of the windows. Calling either the name three times or the other phrase, placing a piece of gum on the dashboard, driving up the road away, coming back to drop her off on the bridge, and if the piece of gum disappears, then you know she was inside your vehicle. The piece of gum is supposed to be for her to freshen her breath where she has been dead. This one is still the most ridiculous version to me today. I could understand if we were going with more of a zombie approach in this story, but if we are speaking about a ghostly apparition who would no longer have a body, a throat, or teeth to enjoy or chew gum, I'm not completely sure where this came from, but end rant. Travelers report incidents of drop in temperature, cool breeze, manipulation of radio stations, and a feeling of pressure or headaches. Since there isn't a precise method on doing this, my team decided to give it a try. Around 8 p.m. on a rainy night, we traveled to Four Mile Road. We stopped on the bridge and called out to Little Egypt after cracking our windows. We did choose to turn the radio to an AM station to see if contact could be made in this way. We also put an EMF detector in the open seat to indicate any spike in electromagnetic field, which can possibly signify a spiritual presence. And we thought it safe to count in the experiment since the vehicle itself didn't produce a large amount of EMF. We then drove up Four Mile Road and then proceeded to turn around and drop her back off at the bridge. We personally used the phrase, Little Egypt, Little Egypt, come ride with me. We experienced a fog of some sort while driving up the road. This didn't seem odd to us, and we counted it as something to do with the weather. But it wasn't until after we had conducted the experiment and testing that I found another source that talked about experiencing that mist or fog when doing this ritual. I noted that, thinking maybe we had some sort of evidence or experience instead of nothing at all. If you are a fan of urban legends or a truth hunter yourself, then you may find that the story of Little Egypt has some familiarity about it. 
The idea of a traumatic story coupled with a ritual expecting a supernatural outcome. For instance, the ritual of repeating Bloody Mary in the mirror three times. And there are many variations on that legend alone. What about the vanishing hitchhiker? The ghost that appears on the side of the road needing a ride and when you go to drop them off, they have vanished from your backseat. Even a year or more ago of testing this urban legend, I still have others who tell me their experience with it, either in recent times or years gone by. One man even told me about seeing a younger woman or possibly a teenage girl standing by a mailbox on this bridge wearing what looked like an old white nightgown, and it still unsettles him to this day. Based on multiple accounts, people are experiencing something when they test out this ritual. But after extensive research, there is still no evidence or basis that this occurred. There is no history to back up this haunting. No witness or a person coming forward with a story passed down through generations. No newspaper article or anything really. But personal experiences. So what are they experiencing? I truly believe they are experiencing Little Egypt. But how, when she didn't exist? You may have already solved this mystery, but let's put all the pieces together. A certain location, a story that has been told for who knows how many generations, people of all ages still going out to this spot and completing this ritual, and no evidence to prove this history. When working this case, it finally clicked for me. She exists, but she doesn't. Or we could say she didn't exist, but she does now. So many people have the, told the story of Little Egypt and created a ritual to this non-existent entity that they have created her right down to how she dresses, that she now actually exists. There are so many versions of this story. Does this mean, as the collective community changes the story, that she changes with it? I was beginning to understand that I had experienced an entity that I wasn't familiar with when I did this urban legend, and that was an egregore. Ghost, poltergeist, none of the stereotypical entities were fitting the description of what was happening here, which is what led me to the discovery of thought form research. It was a game changer and a wake up call for me paranormally. It was then that I knew that others needed to know because if I as a researcher didn't know how many others also didn't, I needed you to know how powerful your minds are, how magical you are, and how there are steps and methods we can take to be sure we are not unleashing a chaotic type energy, knowingly or unknowingly. And I think we'll even get into some of those methods in some later seasons. If paranormal investigations included the possibility 
and testing for thought forms within their cases, how many cases would end up being human-made? That is the kind of thought that keeps me awake at night. But my path is to research it myself with each investigation I take. So why talk about these thought forms? Because by naming every entity or haint we encounter a ghost, we limit ourselves. When we limit ourselves in the paranormal world, we don't always know what specific entity we are dealing with. And by not knowing this, we won't know the specific way to care for it or ourselves. Once again, I want to thank you for joining me this season. We will be taking a small break before starting season two. But keep an eye out or set yourself up for notifications for when those new episodes roll out in a few weeks. Here we are again, being led to the word ghost, being a very broad term, when there are so much more than ghosts out there, friend. But for now, we must digest what we have learned here and leave those haints to another day. Stay curious, my souls.